Like, I don't want to tell people that we do something. I want to show people that we did it. Um, And relying on advising or faculty to share great stories, they may share interesting stories, but those stories may not have a relation to the core positions we're trying to promote. And that's kind of where the gap is a lot of times, where it makes sense to insert a more intentional casting process. Um, Because we're not just trying to find great students with interesting stories, although that's a part of it. We're trying to find people whose stories demonstrate proof points of the value propositions we're positioning on. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast on the B Podcast Network. This is a podcast dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name is John Azoni. I am the founder at Unveiled, a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams on automating their student success stories through a subscription approach. And you can learn more at unveiled.tv. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, go ahead and subscribe. And if you've been listening for a while and haven't left a review, I'd love for you to do that. My guest today is Seth Odell. Seth has a solid background in higher ed marketing and producing great results for the institutions he's worked at. He brings all that expertise to his company, Canahoma, a boutique education marketing agency based in San Diego, California. Founded in 2020, they serve colleges and universities from across the country, as well as K-12 organizations and education technology and service providers. This is a really good episode. I'm just going to throw that out there. In this episode, we talk about a lot of things, but we zero in on Canahoma's unique process for finding great stories to tell. They have kind of a white glove, done-for-you approach to this with the schools they work with, and it's pretty great. And the great thing is is you can take this approach and make it work for you, Uh, do it as is or simplify it, but it's a great way to go about cataloging great student and alumni content at scale. That's the key here, at scale. So here's my conversation with Seth Odell. Seth, thanks for being with us today. Uh, Happy to be here, John. Great to meet you, and uh, thanks for the chance to chat. Yeah, so tell, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do. Sure. So uh, Seth Odell, I've been in higher ed marketing for a little less than 20 years. Um, so I've been, did started my career at UCLA. Uh, I'm, I'm probably best known for my work. I worked at a school called Southern New Hampshire University from 2011 to 2015. Um, I did a whole lot of TV commercials and brand marketing during a really fun, fast growth stage. I uh, was the general manager of an OPM after that called Helix Education that was recently acquired by Ruffalo Noel Levitz. Uh, and then after that, uh, I was vice chancellor of marketing at National University System, a large adult serving institution, uh, home to about 45,000 students. Uh, that's what brought me to San Diego, where I live today. Um, but currently, I'm the founder and CEO of Canahoma. We're an education marketing agency. Um, we are fully remote. Uh, a lot of us are in San Diego, but we are a little over 30 employees working with about a dozen colleges and universities. So uh, small uh, in comparison to some folks, but having a total blast about two and a half years into this and just uh, having a great time. Still love the space um, and really enjoying the work. That's awesome. And to, to take us already on a tangent, you, you, in your, yeah. um, in your LinkedIn, you, you said you uh, remodeled Dr. Phil's uh, kitchen. <laughs> yeah. When, so I worked in TV news for a little while for ABC out of college and I moved to LA uh, without anything lined up and without uh, really, you know, much to do. And so when I showed up in LA, uh, I ended up working in construction and 
uh, was an assistant general contractor and got a chance to remodel Dr. Phil's kitchen. Um, you know, and it was a beautiful kitchen. Team did a great job. Um, I played an extremely small part in it, um, and uh, I was not very good at it, um, candidly, which is why I was very glad when UCLA came calling and I got to, to work in media relations for them, which has kind of opened up both my higher ed career and a, and a path to marketing. So um, definitely an interesting anecdote, but I don't know that I personally contributed much to the, to the great work that the team did at Dr. Phil's house. What would you say are like some of the major, you know, outstanding features of his kitchen? Uh, it was the biggest island I'd ever seen, for sure. Um, massive island. Um, that was probably the biggest thing. The other one was just the the feat of pulling it off. I mean, it was like a 24-hour construction. Um, oh, wow. And so it was like the idea was that like every team was stacked and we were going to like make as minimal disruption to him and his family as possible. And so it was like watching an orchestra play, but it was all subcontractors all like perfectly lined up and executing. It was uh, really a feat of scheduling, uh, actually. That's stressful. I just started watching that. Uh, it's like a, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like these investors and they they buy a, a property and then they they rehab it in forty eight hours, and it's like the yeah. most stressful thing to watch. <laughs> it's, it's probably exactly like a lot like that. I have I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, back to back to the topic at hand here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so how, how did you come up with the name uh, Canahoma? Uh, so Canahoma stands for Kansas and Oklahoma. Um, but more importantly to me, it was the name of my family's lake house. So my family had a lake house in the Finger Lakes in Western New York for 99 years. My great-great-grandfather um, moved from Kansas to New York, and he worked for the Oklahoma Mortgage Company. And so he named it uh, Canahoma. And we unfortunately uh, had to sell the property after 99 years. My grandmother passed away, and we couldn't afford to keep it. Uh, and so it was the same year I was founding the business. And so named the business Canahoma in its honor. It's a place I love. It was a one-word name that was available on Google, which is hard to find these days. Uh, and aspirationally, if uh, business goes well someday, I am going to use the proceeds to go buy the cabin back. So that's kind of my, my personal North Star. That's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, we have my, my family uh, owns a farm in uh, Ashland, Ohio, that's been in the family for many, I don't know, centuries or something like that. <laughs> yeah, legacy uh, properties are just so awesome if you have it. So it was such a, I don't know, they're cool experiences, right? Yeah. So on your website, you talk about, on the Canhoma website, you talk about uh, the, the, the company's unique approach to education marketing. How would you describe that? Yeah, so um, so the the big thing is the blend of creative and performance marketing. So we operate at, at kind of the crossroads of beautiful brand, creative, and effective direct response. Historically, and especially in higher ed, there's really been sort of two teams. There's been like agencies that are like direct response that are known for like lead generation. And then there's separately been agencies that have been much more focused on creative and brand positioning. We really strive to uh, overlap and do both. Um, from my past experience, I found that um, you know, in a crowded market, creative is increasingly important. Um, and I think a lot of folks have undervalued the um, role that creative plays in supporting acquisition marketing activities. And so we really try to do both. We have a really great stacked creative team. We have a, a very dedicated and effective paid team. Uh, and the way we've built our business is both to like, we primarily are agency of record for schools, so we'll manage spend, um, but it's not just spend. We offer unlimited creative. And so the paid teams are allowed to get any assets that they need. And I think it's a big factor in why we outperform a lot of our peers from like an acquisition cost perspective. And so that's really the nuance we think is just that like, um, uh, in a world where it used to be brand agencies and direct response agencies, we really have str strived 
uh, to build both and do them effectively. And so that's where we, we hope or aspire to, uh, to have carved a little bit of a lane for ourselves. How do you practically like manage that collaboration? Are you guys like in the same room together, making decisions together? Uh, so great question. No, so we're a hundred percent remote. So we're 32 full-time employees, uh, fully remote. We're also asynchronous. So we don't have set hours. Um, you know, we have team meetings and client meetings, but outside of that, people can work whenever they want. Um, and so we, you know, we rely a lot on Slack and Asana. Um, but the biggest thing is process. You know, I don't, in a creative business, um, part of our work is is customized creative, right? Unique to the institution. But I don't think people are hiring us just for that. People are hiring us for like the effectiveness of the machine that we've built. So in a lot of ways, we really strive to build a process and a product that's replicable. Um, so for us, it's really like we understand how to manage media and how to place ads and measure effectiveness. And then what it's really about is incentive structures. So like on the unlimited creative piece that I mentioned, we made it very intentional. Our paid team is held to the performance of the budget that they get. Like what's the ROAS, like the return on ad spend that they generate for our partners. But they also have unlimited creative, meaning they get to treat the creative team a bit like a buffet. And so it's like, if you want 10 new Facebook ads next week and you wanna move in and test TikTok, like we have to service you within the company and provide you all the assets that you need. Um, and so that way paid is driving the creative requests because most agencies will create a small amount of creative and use it too much because they don't wanna put more resources into creating creative because it hurts your margin in the short term um, mm -hmm. because it puts more hours in. So it's really about incentive structures so the paid team can ask for whatever they want the creative team is is designed to service a high volume like we commonly launch campaigns with hundreds of ad units um, not dozens and uh and then we measure the performance together and then each month we track the hours that clients get you know how much it cost us and try to understand like which clients are over or under utilizing and so it's not a perfect science um but primarily it's just like a through a few key check-in points um which is like weekly performance meetings, like monthly agency ops meetings, um, weekly account planning meetings, things like that. We're just designed where we do come together and sync up on, on how we're doing. Um, but the main goal is like um, give the team business objectives and kind of try to get out of their way and knock on wood so far that's, that's not totally falling apart on me. I, I super appreciate that. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> that's very rare. Um, you know, I, I definitely like, I've worked in, uh, you know, out of college, worked for, you know, organizations that was very much like a butts and seats kind of like, yeah, you're here from this time to this time. We don't really care what you're doing, but as long as your butt's in that chair. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, that's on a personal level. That's one of the things we're trying to do with Canahoma is like be better employers. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are forcing people back into the office. We've been very intentional that we'll never do that. Um, even if we don't have set schedules, you know, we pay for 100% of health insurance uh, for employees, spouses, dependents. We take over student loan payments. Um, we've made a big push, both because like I really want to be a better employer. Like that's a personal aspiration that I'm striving to, you know, work towards as a business owner, but also candidly, it's a great talent acquisition strategy. We've been picking up a lot of talent from a lot of people that aren't treating themselves that like their teams that way. And so, you know, we have a position open now, one position got, you know, almost 1500 applications. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, so it's both the better thing to do, but it's also, I do think better business. And it's like, I think as companies are forcing people back into the office, it's like, well, you know, you can come work for us if you'd prefer. You can make whatever hours you want, and we're all going to you know, treat you like an A player, and uh, you'll have a lot more freedom and flexibility. So, so far, that's been a good approach for us. I will say that we're small, right? We're 30 people. So, I mean, it'll be very curious 
Um, what aspects of our operation and approach like that properly scale as we get closer to 50? Um, most people say like a business changes at like 45 to 50 employees. And so I think we'll, we'll, we probably haven't faced our biggest test yet when it comes to all that stuff, you know? <laughs> cool. Love it. Um, okay. So, so Canahoma is very involved in storytelling. And what I wanted yeah. to kind of focus on in this conversation was the, uh, how you guys go about acquiring stories on behalf of, of school. So tell me just broadly, about Canahoma's um, focus on storytelling, and then we'll kind of dive deeper from there. Yeah, happy to. So, um, you know, brand storytelling is definitely a big part of the creative work that we do. Um, and a lot of that is is steeped, obviously, in like brand strategy and in authenticity. And so, you know, we have a full like, you know, brand strategy offering that we do with some partners if you want to come in and we can do everything from like, you know, redo logos and mission statements to brand positioning. But, you know, a key piece of that always comes down to like, you know, there's research, then there's strategy, then there's creative development, and then there's campaigns. Those are like the four fo like the four phases or milestones of bringing work to market. But that creative piece is always what what bridges like a good idea on paper to an actual ad or actual web story or piece of organic content. Um, and so that piece has always been important to us. Um, we always you know, strive to just use real students and real alumni, um, not any actors, not stock photography. Um, that just feels like such, both such a cop-out and at our price point in higher ed, um, the idea of trying to get someone to make, you know, the largest or second largest purchase of their life um, based off of stock images, I think is a bit dismissive. And we've seen authentic imagery and storytelling be incredibly effective in both driving interest and improving conversion. And so, um, you know, that's been a big approach for us. One of those aspects is we have an offering called Canahoma Casting, which is like um, how we try to solve one of those bottlenecks has been schools say, yeah, yeah, we love authenticity. We're on board. Of course, please tell our, our student alumni stories. But then they're like, great, you know, what do you have? And they're like, well, we have like the same three students that we've told their story 10 times in the past five years. Um, <laughs> and so the well, one of the bottlenecks is everybody knows great storytelling makes great marketing but people don't know how to generate a high volume of great stories. And so that is, we have a Canahoma casting as an offering that we've developed, which is basically built on my experience from way back when I was at Southern New Hampshire University. Um, and I first did my first castings of students alumni. Anyway, so that's one thing that we both sell and we integrate it into our brand project. So if somebody buy, you know, buys a brand project, we just offer that as, as a component of it um, and hand, basically handle the sourcing of those stories on behalf of the institution. So what's that process like? Okay, so um, stop me as I go, because uh, I'm down to give it all away, because I think everybody can do this. Um, and if they want to hire us or anybody else to do it, cool, but like, it, I think it's a thing people could do. So the first thing uh, is uh, you always start with a cast and call. Uh, our recommendation is to send an email with a very simple web survey to every student and every living alumni everybody wow. and that's the first thing that makes institutions uncomfortable because they're like well we want to curate and what if they're not in good standings it doesn't matter invite everybody and be clear about what you're inviting them to do do you want to be part of an upcoming marketing campaign do you want to share your story because we think it could help impact and inspire others um, typically we get a one and a half to four percent response rate um, so you know if you have a you know hundred thousand alumni you should get maybe a, you know a few thousands people raise their hands and fill out for us it's a relatively lengthy survey you know we, we probably eight to ten questions uh, the questions are basically just like you know oh here's the other part these are open-ended qualitative questions so get ready to read it's things like tell us about yourself why did you choose the institution no pick lists no select alls it's all open-ended 
for us that then, so that's the casting call, send out a couple emails, typically one to 4% response rate. Uh, for us, it feeds into a Google Sheets, but you can feed into whatever backend system you want. Um, and then we manually read through each. Um, it typically takes dozens of hours, sometimes hundreds of hours. Uh, and we read through every single submission and we have a color code system. Uh, more or less just like yes, no, maybe. Uh, and like, you know, the no's are easy because they're like, I don't like you and people that are mad. Uh, and the maybe's are people that just, they respond, but there's not a lot of substance there. It's just sort of like, I really enjoyed my time. And the yeses are people who can like really articulate these open-ended questions and say like, you know, here's the things that resonated with me about the institution or here's how it's impacted myself and my career, my family. And so the Basically, you read through and you color code it, and then you build a rank system. Um, for us, we typically probably go forward with about a third. So if you have a 1,000 people fill it out, we might have a short list of 250 to 300, so 25 to 30%. Um, then we get on a Zoom with all 250 of them, uh, and we record 15-minute Zoom interviews with everybody asking some of the follow-up questions. That helps us understand if the person is just a good written testimonial um, or if they're particularly dynamic on camera, if they can handle questions, um, if they're comfortable or not. And so from there, we then break the results into kind of three categories. No's, which is rare, but sometimes someone who sounded good on paper but didn't wasn't as eloquent. Maybe's who are like, you probably better uh, print testimonial. Um, like you just, maybe you struggle under camera, which totally makes sense. A lot of people aren't on camera. And for then sure. the short list of like what we call heroes, like, okay, this student would be killer for like video, photo, written, like there, and there's aspects of their story that are complex and they align with ideally the brand position of the institution. So, you know, if the position institution is positioning heavily on like career progression, as an example, we would be highlighting stories of like people who are like, oh, I advanced my career because of X, Y, Z, and could tell that story. Um, so that way it's always proof points back on the positioning. Uh, and then from that short list, we then basically build what we call a casting book. And it's like a kind of like a just giant PowerPoint where every page is a bio of a student with all their information with pull quotes and a link to the video. And then the following page is all photos that they provide us from their social channels. So that we can get like a glimpse into their actual life and a little bit more about who they are. Um, and then, so we deliver that book to the institution. Uh, and then from there, it's like, okay, the institution can use that casting book um, or we can use it if we're doing like a big campaign, a photo shoot or a video shoot, we will select students from that short list and put it together. Um, the biggest thing is it's wildly laborious. Um, yeah. Like, uh, which is why like we charge a lot. Like to be very transparent, like we charge sixty thousand dollars starting for these casting books. So it already wow. knocks out a whole lot of smaller institutions that like that would be the budget for the campaign, let alone the casting. Right. Right. Um, but it can be done on a smaller scale, um, and it can be sent to less students, or you can interview less. For us, the reasons we interview so many people is I've just found that like until you talk to somebody and you look them in the eye on a Zoom and you, and you just don't know how great some people can be in telling the story. And so we prefer to always cast a wide net um, as much as possible. Um, and I also will say that I think one of the things that's important about this is also like the aspect of inclusion. Um, so often if we only highlight the voices of people who speak up on their own and self-identify, we often disproportionately prioritize voices that maybe perhaps came from a little bit of a place of privilege or had a, had some aspect of an advantage in their education. And yet every story is worth telling. And so I do think casting the set mm. and being intentional about inviting everyone to, to submit and be a part of this is a key thing. So um, that's a bit about the process. Happy to unpack any aspect of it, but it's a, I mean, it's a lift, but I, I learned it at SNU and it's been like a kind of a calling card um, over the course of my career, if that makes sense. 
That's great. I love that. I mean, that's a, it's, uh, I mean, it's a problem, you know, as we talked before we started, uh, recording this episode, uh, it's the yeah. problem, you know, of me, we, my company, we have, a, um, uh, subscription-based approach to, um, producing student alumni, uh, videos. Uh, cool. and that's always one of the bigger, um, uh, bottlenecks is, um, kind of like what's what so the, the the idea is to reduce the friction of telling stories but what adds friction into the process is going okay well let's find uh we gotta find a you know 12 stories one one for every mm. month of the year okay we'll find two and then we'll shoot those and then you know two months later we're starting to get behind it's like okay we gotta hurry up and find two more yeah uh, you know, and it, it just kind of defeats the whole purpose of like, <laughs> of yeah, yeah, like yeah. easy yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I, 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 I totally appreciate the, you know, the cost of, uh, uh you know, 60,000 to me, I feel like a lot of schools might balk at that, but it's, it's also like, is it, is it getting done? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if it was, we always tell people when we pitch it, um, you know, a lot of folks say like, okay, that's out of range. We say, okay, like, well, we've given you the process. Like, can you like between us, you can replicate this with like a student intern or like over the course of a semester. It won't be as good, obviously. They won't have done this, but like, but it is something is better than nothing. And like a light version of this is totally feasible in house with a student worker or one employee or things. So, like, uh, and also you can just like pare it down and use a shorter list. Um, so, yeah. there's ways that make it achievable, but um, the, ours is a bit more white glove for like probably I call like yeah. enterprise institutions. Um, yeah. but the, but the concept is still the same, which I think is that like, if you want great stories, you got to ask for them. And then when they come in, you got to take the time to listen. Cause otherwise you're only getting stories filtered by faculty, right? Um, who are like, oh, this student was really great. And, and they're not wrong, but does the faculty necessarily source the student based on the brand position? And that answer is right. no, they're sourcing it based on this student was a standout. They're great academically. And it goes back to what's the type of stories. And that's where like, there's an editorial lens that, that we bring. And I'm sure you bring in your work where it's like, okay, what does the institution need from a brand position perspective for this department or school or the brand overall? And then like, let's go find stories that are exemplars of that. Like, I don't want to tell people that we do something. I want to show people that we did it. Um, And relying on advising or faculty to share great stories, they may share interesting stories, but those stories may not have a relation to the core positions we're trying to promote. And that's kind of where the gap is a lot of times where it makes sense to insert a more intentional casting process um, because we're not just trying to find great students with interesting stories, although that's a part of it. We're trying to find people whose stories demonstrate proof points of the value propositions we're positioning on. Yeah. And I also find that, um, you know, when you rely on professors or department heads to find stories, they, there's a disconnect between, um, a student that was a standout student and a student that actually has a story. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. There's like, cause I think that, that, and I probably say this on every episode of this podcast, there's such a mud, uh, muddying of what story means. Mm-hmm. And just because you have somebody that's saying, I love the school five stars and I was really successful and they helped me. That's not a story per se. Yeah, you know, there's not really a narrative to that. That's information and that's very positive information that reflects very positively on the school. But a story would be like, this happened, then this happened, and here was this turning point and completely was involved in that. And I don't think professors know how, you know, how to look for that. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like in a perfect world, although it doesn't always happen, like we're looking for the hero's journey, right? And it's like the student, it's the student, they have a dream or an ambition, they're facing an obstacle, and then like we are the tool of choice that they have hired to help us, help them get there. Um, And that's just a more complicated, interesting story sometimes. Quick break here to tell you about our video storytelling subscriptions. Finding the stories is half the battle. The other half obviously is actually producing those stories. And for schools that don't have a rhythm of doing this, it's a lot of work when done the traditional way. The traditional way being you gotta hire a video vendor, you gotta herd all the cats, then you gotta schedule everybody, coordinate everything, and then you get one video out of that. But what if you could get a year's worth of storytelling content that you can use to highlight your various programs and all you had to do was find the stories and hand them off? Well, uh, we'd love for you to hand them off to us because our aim is to take the friction out of telling great stories. Uh, At Unveiled, whether you're a big school or a small liberal arts college, you can tell really compelling stories all year round and fill your content calendar with video content. We get this done anywhere in the U.S. We batch shoot a year's worth of content and then every month we're going to drip out to you one new student or alumni story along with a whole package of additional video content. Uh, You'll get the full length story, which is usually two to three minutes. You'll get a 30 second, a 15 second cut down to use in various ways. And then eight topical videos. Not only can you take what we deliver and, you know, crop everything vertically if you want, you know, make great TikToks and reels. And in addition to uh, the, the, the normal ways that you would use these types of videos, like on your website, but you get to keep all the B-roll and interview footage we shoot. And later in this episode, we're going to talk about why that is essential uh, to a college's workflow. Um, there is a wealth of additional content opportunities within that, and you don't have to go film anything. So head over to pricing.unveiled.tv to download our pricing guide, which has everything in it you need to know. And if you'd like to chat further, you can book a call with me on our website, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Okay, back to my conversation with Seth. Um, there's also like time-based components of it too. So like, um, like it's sometimes in a really good world for creative storytelling, it's not just about hire about sitting down with a student to have them tell a story of the past. We want to find stories of the present whenever possible. And so like, we're looking for things that are happening now. Um, and so that's why like when we cast, we always ask things like, what do you have coming up in the next three to six months? Um, because like, if you have like, Oh, I'm, you know, changing jobs or my daughter's getting married. Like we want to know about those milestones. Cause sometimes those things can be really great settings, especially for like video work. Um, as opposed to just like, let me sit down a year and tell me about the past, but I don't have any B-roll of the past. So like, what the heck am I going to show you? And it just makes mm. it a little harder. So, um, the best stories probably that I've told, um, are ones where we've either captured or assisted in creating like accurate moments. Um, and so those were like, you know, delivering a diploma to a dad at his son's fourth birthday party. That's probably the one that like, like of all things, my career, that first casting I did was for a, a bus tour for Southern New Hampshire University. We drove a bus around the country and we delivered diplomas to students who couldn't make it to graduation, um, online students. And it was, uh, there was this one student, Ante, uh, and Ante lived in Chicago. He had been a campus student, uh, dropped out uh, to try to be a pro soccer player, didn't make it, uh, and never finished. It was two classes short. And went back online after almost 20 years. And he wow. and I asked why. And this guy was so dynamic. He's like, I did it for my son. My son's turning four this summer. And I really wanted him to know that his dad got a college education. Um, and he's like, so I've been including him in the journey, right? I've been like, he's been sitting on my lap. I've been doing stuff. He's like, I want him to see me be successful um, because this is like a moment that I can teach him this lesson. 
I was like, that's amazing. I was like, so your son's four? He's like, well, he's almost four. He's actually turning four in a few months. We're having this big block party, you know, in this one block in Chicago. And I'm like, no way. And I look at the calendar and I look at my, like, colleague. I'm like, we were going to have to effing be there, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. and so we drove the bus to Chicago and we pulled up in the middle of the block party at his son's fourth birthday party. And we delivered his dad's diploma right in front of the kid and all of his family and all of his friends and like gave him a memory he's never going to forget. And it was like so perfect. And like, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's where it's like the sto- sometimes storytelling is more like sourcing stories that are still in development so that way we can go tell them in real time again that's like probably the like the aspiration more than the actual yeah. sometimes uh, i my my portfolio is full of sit down interviews of the past but whenever we can those kind of stories of the future and then getting a camera there is just like so so great that's amazing that reminds me of that um kane's arcade thing <laughs> where the the kid i, I don't know if you remember i don't know i don't like a kid, there was a kid at, working at his dad's like auto shop or whatever that he would build. Wait, these, yes, like, I loved that video. That's from like, dude, you're going way back in the early YouTube. Days. That had to be like 20, 2009 had to be Kane's Arcade, I think. I swear. Maybe yeah. I'm way off. Yes, dude, that was so good. Yeah, for people listening that don't that don't know, it's a kid. You, I think I think I haven't seen the video in a while. He worked at his dad's like car shop or whatever, and he would build like out of scrap cardboard these these little makeshift arcade games. And then um, no one was coming to play. And then this guy found him and, and decided to document. He invited like hundreds and hundreds of people to this to come play the arcade, and and it like made his whole life. And yeah, it was so great. It just came out. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The first piece of content was about the kid in this like our cardboard arcade, and then all this future content was people coming and experiencing it and like this kid's dreams coming true in real time it was really super inspiring that Um, actually i was surprised um last year my daughter was in uh first grade and they actually their whole school did a canes arcade um, project and so we i came in to help as a parent uh and cut up cardboard and their whole class was like making their own arcade games and everyone was playing each other's games so cool it was really, it was really cool. Um, yeah. But just that, that, that idea of just making something out of nothing and just, yeah, just experimenting. Anyways, but, um, but he didn't. So the the dad, he didn't know you guys were coming. So he, so he did. We planned it with him. I'll say so the, the behind the magic of storytelling. Um, we ended up. He knew we were coming. We worked the whole thing out. You know, we even met him the day before. Um, and then. Uh, <clears throat> okay, the realist story is so we we show up with the bus. He knows it. We deliver the diploma, um, and he's like a little stoic because this is a, like a tough athlete guy, right? Um, and while we're delivering it, a car alarm goes off, and so we're rolling sound, and we're like, there's this like beeping in the background. It's like we were like, this is like the pinnacle last shot on a whole crazy journey across country, and it's like, are you kidding me? We're gonna lose the shot, and so like the producer finds the car. lifts up the hood and just like literally rips off their battery and like like uh, like unplugs the battery from the car right and while we're doing that like this is the real thing i take the diploma back and i'm like okay like auntie we're gonna have to do that again like this is like you know this is like docu style not documentary exactly right um and uh so although you know even the 
all documentaries have some of that, you know, right? In the Nook of the North, the first documentary had a staged scene of a guy building an igloo. So, like, it happens. Um, but when I took it back, it gave me a chance to talk to him and be like, man, they're like, how, how big is this moment? And, like, through this just, like, killing time conversation, I think it set in for him, like, what a big deal this was. And so then when we re-delivered the diploma, like, three minutes later, he was really choked up. And we got this incredible emotional moment that we ended up using in national TV for, like, two years. Um, it was the highest performance spot I've ever done in my career um, and so it's funny how like it was still real but it actually took redoing it to, to for him to like get settling because you're the first time he's being a little tough and stoic and stuff um, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah that's that so he knew we were coming and we delivered it twice <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I mean that's yeah. I you know I I concur it's uh, documentary filmmaking it, there is an element of um, planning that goes into it you know, totally. if you watch, uh, I mean, if you actually, if you, if they actually just had like the bachelor or the bachelorette <laughs> and they just had cameras in the house and just let things happen, it would be yeah. so boring. <laughs> yeah. It's so different. Exactly. It's, yeah. It takes some curation and you know, yeah, everything, uh, yeah, you just create opportunities for things and then film them. So it's a little different. Yeah. But I love the, I love that. Um, you know, you always, you always try as a, as a filmmaker to set up a scenario where real emotion can play out. I mean, totally. I think that's really directing in general, but yeah. you know, you're trying not to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to hand you this thing and I want you to get emotional. That's never going to happen. Yeah. You just try to like, just cry, try your best to create the environment. And then you just cross your fingers and hope something cool happens. And yeah, you know, totally, totally agree. Yeah. But the other thing you said earlier was um, it's, there's no B-roll of the past. And that is, that is a challenge too, that I I try to work with um, schools on is like when we're selecting stories, let's think about the visual opportunities that we can realistically capture that day on the, on the shoot. Um, You know, because if, yeah, if they're talking all about the past and they don't have any pictures to go with that, um, then what are our options? Stock uh, video, which is, I just avoid it all costs. And then uh, staging scenes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. which also then becomes kind of uh, just kind of stiff and um, you can't always stage everything. You yeah. Know? Um, so, so yeah, that's, I always work with schools to say like, let's, let's think about a good story. Let's, let's think about the stories that are really moving us that, that really are like, yes, this is gold. But then also let's look at it from a production lens of like, what can we, can, is this going to mostly just be an interview because of the nature of the story or yeah. can we actually plan this on a day where we can actually get a lot of, you know, footage out of them. That's why I like, sto- I like sports. Uh, yeah. I like doing sports uh, films because there's always an opportunity to go to practice or go to a game or something. Okay. And that covers a lot of, you know, the bases. Uh, Completely. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's one of the, the challenges in arts of storytelling. And so it's a, uh, in particular with like resource restrictions, like, Hey, you're going to be there for a day. So it's like, okay, what can we get in a day and who can be there and what can we create? Um, yeah. How do we make it dynamic and interesting? I mean, cause you know, folks, you know, nobody has a lot of time these days and attention spans are pretty short. So like, yeah, we just got to make it as interesting as possible. Right. Um, do you guys do production in-house? We do. So we, we own and operate our own production company called Canahoma Productions. Uh, we stood that up last year. Um, and so uh, we just finished our largest production for an institution two weeks ago. Had, um, had you know, 
geez, dozens of crew members. Um, so yeah, we, we've just been doing that. We were outsourcing production fulfillment up until about a year and a half ago. And then, um, I've been doing production for almost 20 years. I started as a videographer. Um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, finally have our own production company, which has been great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. My, my, well, my, my career went from homeless outreach, uh, to wow. video production. No way. <laughs> All right. That's yeah, awesome. I went from, yeah, I graduated art school, ended up working for an organization, co-led a homeless outreach program for three years, and then uh, was fired there because I, I was uh, always more interested in telling their stories yeah. and like, <laughs> writing blog articles and making videos. And my boss was like, you should just go make videos. This, yeah. <laughs> you know, you should marry a social worker, which is what I did. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, that sounds like it all worked out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so let's see, what, what do you think is at the, uh, in, so enrollment, enrollment marketing, what, what do you think is at the core, uh, core of enrollment marketing success? Um, so, you know, the biggest things are, um, attracting attention. So the first thing is like, you know, doesn't matter if what you say is interesting if people don't notice it. So the first thing is you have to be noticed. And so that's like upper funnel advertising has to be like visually arresting with good, simple benefit driven copies. So like 101 strong marketing is the start to enrollment marketing success. Um, but then the, the kind of the core things I would say is a combination of one uh, reducing friction in the funnel, <clears throat> excuse me, like a Sorry, excuse me. Um, like uh, Clayton Christensen, author of Innovator's Dilemma, talks about the job to be done. Uh, like, what is the job to be done for the student at each stage? The enrollment process is so long, especially for undergrad. And so the first is reducing friction wherever possible, which like most of our enrollment processes are like a closet, like stuff comes in but never goes out and you got to spring clean. Um, and in addition to like reducing friction, then uh, to me, it's something we call messaging hierarchy, um, which is we... Uh, which is we evolve the message as a student progresses. One of probably the biggest like 101 mistake people make is they spend all this time and money on a, on a you know, mediocre marketing campaign. And then they say the same thing on the ad that they say to the person filling out the application that they say to the person who's been admitted. And it's like the message has to evolve. Like they, like the job is like you, your job has been successful. You've progressed them. And like the job is to progress people every status stage all the way down or have them self-identify out because they're not the right fit, uh, which is totally fine. And so to me, it's about evolving the message and the creative. And so this is a common conversation we have with partners all the time is it's not about what we're saying. It's about where we're saying it. Um, and so like the place for a long form testimonial sometimes isn't going to be upper funnel paid ads. Sometimes it's the website, but sometimes it's more like, no, that's the email marketing. Sometimes we can cut up that piece into interesting anecdotes and like ask a student in an interview about financial aid and then use that clip and then put that into an email about affordability. And like, how do we break and chunk out this stuff? So we're delivering the correct component at the correct place always, you know, establishing and supporting a sense of urgency and progressing students through the funnel. So to me, it's reduce friction and evolve the message probably is a shorter way to say the long winded thing I just said. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And I think, I think just in clarity and, you know, avoiding, avoiding confusion too, it's like such a tripping point is like, yeah. if I don't know where to go next, or, you know, if there's just any level of confusion, I feel like people are so, so sensitive to that. Totally. Um, the, the one other one I'll mention that just, I just thought it was, um, it's a little more upper funnel, but it's across the board. Um, 
People will only see what you make once, and they will rarely remember what you say, but they may remember how you make them feel. And I think we as an industry disproportionately spend too much time worrying about what we're saying, assuming that people care and are going to pay a ton of attention, when the truth is what we say doesn't matter nearly as much as how we make people feel. Because people don't remember what you say, but they do remember when they made an emotional connection to something. And that's the power of storytelling um, in a way that cannot be done with infographics and web copy nearly the same. And so um, I think so often we like pack too much in. We try to say too much. Um, and sometimes like saying less can have a bigger impact and, and feel more. And so that's the other one for me, I would say is like great enrollment marketing and great marketing in general, um, focuses more on uh, how you made them feel than on what you had to say. That's good. And that's so hard. That's, that's so hard. Even, uh, I mean, even for me as a storyteller, uh, I, I find myself having to be like, wait a minute, let me take my own advice here. Uh, <laughs> and like focus less on like, yeah the 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 features and benefits and and more on like you know the the problems that that are being created for uh for the client and, and things like that and I find that you know I've I've worked with so many uh, uh, uh marketing departments and and things in all all industries over over my career and I would say that's the number one trap that they fall into is uh, at the beginning of the project they're like yeah we want to do something different well, like we want this to really capture attention we want people to feel something. Uh, we deliver the, the V1, the, the first draft, and then it becomes a big, just like infomercial after that, you know, <laughs> because it's yeah. like, well, oh, this isn't saying every possible thing that I need it to say. Um, you know, when, when they should be asking, is this, is this getting someone to the next step, which could be taking all that information and putting it in a different form, maybe on your website or maybe following up with an email or something like that. That's, I feel like it's trying to make that front that first impression video do everything it needs to do for the entire campaign. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So I think that's definitely a great call out. Yeah. Um, cool. Can you wind it down here? Can you tell us, uh, maybe any, in many, any schools that you work with successfully with, maybe that's something unique that stands out and in, in, in how you kind of handle those or what the results were. Mm, sure. Um, so, I mean, like, going back to what I mentioned, Southern New Hampshire University, I'm probably best known for. They're, they're now the largest nonprofit university in the country. When I was there, we grew from 7,000 to 70,000 students in under four years. Um, that was primarily driven by several things, but one of which was a national cable strategy, which required I produce 34 commercials in four years. Um, all real students, almost all real students and alumni and great storytelling. Um, you know, more recently at Canahoma, um, you know, we had the most awarded, at least I believe it's the most awarded campaign in, in higher ed marketing last year uh, for a school called Concordia University Irvine with a campaign called Freedom to Explore. Um, and that was all students and all down the campus. That one was a, a great example, again, I think of creating the volume of assets you need. Um, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on is like, we don't shoot commercials, we produce asset libraries. Um, these days, we need a high volume of stuff. And the, the days of just shooting a 30 second storyboard are kind of over. Um, but mm. a lot of folks are still selling that. And so it's like, well, hold on, like we shoot horizontal, we shoot vertical, we shoot short form, we shoot long form. Um, we're sitting down with the student, we're getting stills, like we're trying to like capture as much as we possibly can and extract as much value from the production process. So when I think of like the work with Concordia, that's probably what I'm most proud of is like they did not have much of a library of 
you know, student and alumni content. Same thing for a partner of ours, uh, New Mexico State University. Um, we really focus on like, how do we capture a high volume of assets when you don't have anything? And so everything from the casting process to the production to capturing TV commercials for both. So it's like, it's still broadcast quality content, but also it's everything down to audio ads and, and TikTok or Snapchat ads um, and like short form six second, you know, GIF content, like it's like everything. And so those are the ones now, like both of those partners are seeing significant growth in some areas, um, which we're proud to be a part of. And um, I don't think that creative alone is going to drive growth, but I do think creative is one of the major hurdles to growing. And so I think those are examples where like, I feel like we went and removed that hurdle. Like we cleared the path for growth by making sure that like we had a library stocked with the, any assets that we could possibly need. Like the way I view production with those partners and the way I've evolved and thought about it more in my career is that like really great production is stocking the pantry. Like, so that way creatives can be the chefs and they can sit down and they can figure out what the dining room, which is the paid ads and everyone wants, and they can figure out how to make it. And the worst thing you can have is someone out there wanting something. And when the chef opens the pantry, they don't have the ingredients to make it. Um, and then it turns into like, well, what can I make you with what I have? And we've all lived that life where it's like, I haven't gone grocery shopping. Like, what can I make out of the food I still have? You never love those meals. And so um, <laughs> to me, it's like stock the pantry is the mentality of a content library shoot. So those two partners, I would say I'm probably most proud of that, even more than the final product. I'm proud that I think we've we've produced it. Also, like everything we produce, our clients own everything. So they own every piece of IP, but they also own the working files. So like we'll turn over everything down to our selects. Like our, we're trying to build them a library that they can own someday. Um, and so those are probably two that, that stand out as points of pride. That's great. That's great. We do that too as, as um uh, it's give, give them all the B-roll, all the interview content. Even I've had clients ask for like project files so that they can, yeah, uh, so that they can make little tweaks. I'm like, sure. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's very rare, man. Like a lot of people don't do it the way that you, you're mentioning, like, right. Like it, the old school mentality in this space was to lock that away and force somebody to work with you forever. And like, I just absolutely hate that mentality. And so like, I, I love that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, part of it is just, um, is just, I hate confrontation. <laughs> sure. So I remember I worked at a, at a previous uh, production company for over a decade. And I remember we used to, um, for probably for the first half of my career there, we used to kind of follow that old, old guard mentality of like, we're going to do this thing with this, this three minute video for you. And then if you want anything extra, you know, we held the assets and we're going yeah. to do, we're going to charge you for it. And then one client we had that didn't under, didn't know that or didn't read the contract or didn't understand. They assumed they got everything. And so it was this really awkward, like, yeah. it, Hey, yay. we just delivered this great project. Everyone's excited about it. And then just this deflation of like, yeah, oh, we, that's it. Like we don't yeah. get any of the B roll. Cause we had some other intentions for it. Down yeah. The road. So we, we just said, let's just, we're just yeah. going to give it all away. And so that's yeah. when I started my company. That's one thing I, I carried yeah. with me. It was like, I love that. get, you know, give, give schools what they need to do, to do the work and partner with partner with, you know, even their internal in-house video person, make it easy for that yes, person 100%. to do his or her job because they've already got a super hard job. If you can save them, you know, uh, you know, 10, 15 days of production. Yeah. <laughs> That just that's so much more work that they can put out in other areas for all those other departments that are yelling yes. louder. Totally agree. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. Cool. Well, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Um, 
yeah, I appreciate I, I appreciate all the the, the, the openness that, that with the way that you guys um, run your brand is just giving away that um, yeah not only giving away the footage but giving away the process for how, how you do casting and just seems like you guys have a really um, really like a, uh, a client first kind of mentality in a way that you know everyone says well we're client first but yeah. <laughs> uh, but you guys are actually living it which, yeah, which yeah. is inspiring oh that's awesome I, I appreciate it it's a it's been a real privilege to get to build the business and I'm just grateful that anybody wants to work with us and I'm grateful that the team that works for us wants to be part of it. So yeah, it's uh, always down to share that kind of stuff. Cool. So where can people find you at if they want to connect with you or uh, Canahoma? Sure. Uh, so Canahoma, you can find us online at canahoma.com, K-A-N-A-H-O-M-A.com or I'm personally Seth O'Dell pretty much everywhere so um twitter linkedin are the most active um but like we'll welcome connections can't stress like like especially like shoot me on a linkedin and say you heard the podcast like i, I always am down to make make new connections so probably yeah seth odell anywhere or canahoma.com cool awesome seth well thanks for being here appreciate it yeah you're welcome john thanks for the conversation man appreciate the invitation thank you for listening uh, three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to go to pricing.unveiled.tv if you're interested in our subscriptions. Download our pricing guide. We'll help you build a massive content library uh, that will keep you going all year long. Number two, if you want to take the storytelling you're already doing to the next level, I have a free resource for you. It's a three-part framework uh, for creating compelling student and alumni testimonials, and you can get it at unveiled.tv slash student testimonials. And that doesn't even have to be for video. Put the framework to use in any format in which you tell student outcome stories. Number three, leave a review for this podcast. It helps us out a ton. Thanks for listening. My name's John Azoni. Go connect with me on LinkedIn. And in the meantime, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.